Uh, we're going to get started here. So if you, if you have a Bible, you can turn in, into John chapter 4. And I'm going to start reading about verse 21. But we're going to start a new worship series or a sermon series on worship. Uh, and and worship is a pretty difficult topic. And I've, I've been studying a lot and praying into it, asking what the Lord uh, would have us to speak about. But I want to just try to give us an introduction here. And I've got a lot of stuff that I want to cover, but I think that the Lord's going to help me through it. So John chapter 4, we're going to get right into it. I want to talk about worship, which is our highest calling. John chapter 4, verse 21, here's what it says. It says, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me. I love how he just says woman like that. Woman... Believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. Think about that for a second. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And God, we just declare our dependence on you this morning, God, that your spirit, you have to bring your word to life in us, God, to give us an understanding and to call us into this place of worship. Because God, I believe that for your entire body, for the entire body of Christ, Holy Spirit, you're calling us into an understanding of what true worship is so that we can constantly, God, be worshiping you in spirit and in truth. And so, Father, we just ask you to do that in our hearts this morning, Lord, that you would just birth a response of true and pure worship in our hearts so that we could see you more clearly than ever before. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I personally believe that everything that happens in life or in our world is a direct result of worship. Now, I didn't really understand this at first. I didn't know what worship was, didn't really have a good understanding of what worship was. And when I was growing up, like most people, I, I went to church. I actually went to a Catholic church when I was growing up. And so worship there looks a little bit different. And, you know, people have all sorts of different what they consider to be worship styles, right? Everybody does. They say, well, we, just, we worship this way and y'all worship that way. And everybody worships a little differently. And there may be a little bit of truth to that. So when I was growing up, the only church that I had really ever been to, to her scene, it was more of a, a liturgical style of worship. You know, you set up, you stand, you, you, st- you set, you stand, you, you, you re- repeat a, a liturgy, you repeat a creed and different things like that. And there is some worship to that. But the truth is, is I was never really a Christian. I'd never had an experience or an encounter with God that was transformative. I understood, uh, I didn't understand what religion was, but that's what I had. And so growing up, I really didn't know what worship was. And I didn't understand that I was actually worshiping something. I didn't know what I was worshiping. Amen. Anybody ever been in that place where you just don't know what in the world you are worshiping? And Jesus says to this woman, you don't even know what you're worshiping. And I think for a lot of us, a lot of times we don't understand exactly what it is we're worshiping sometimes. And Jesus wants to begin to make that very clear for us because we need to learn what the Father is seeking. The Scripture says He is seeking worshipers. That the one thing the Bible says God is actually seeking after is worshipers. And those worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth, right? So that means that we could worship out of spirit and we could worship in error, right? It's a possibility that we could worship in those ways. And I know that in my own life, see, here's how I begin to come into an understanding of worship. I was, I was about 19, 20 years old. I was going to college, 
and I just started reading the Bible, but I was not a Christian. In my mind, I was a Christian. In my mind, I was saved. In my mind, you know, I'm going to heaven. I'm a good person, all of that stuff. But I was not yet a Christian. I didn't yet know Jesus. But that was my mentality. I'd just been raised in church. And you know, everybody who has been raised in church, they just think, well, they're a Christian by default. And everything's going to be good. And so, so I'm... I'm, I'm I'm getting into this place of emptiness because by this time I'm in all sorts of various addictions. I'm in a lifestyle of sin. I'm deeply empty, searching for truth, wondering what truth is. And I can remember reading the Bible and reading Psalms and reading some things about worship. And my mind is opening up to this thing. And I'm at school in college. I'm taking this anthropology class. And that's the study of humanity, right? That's what that means. And, and so I'm taking this class. And we start studying about these tribal religions. And we start watching these videos of tribal worship services. And I watch these shaman as they begin to dance in, in just these weird forms. And as they're dancing, it talks about how they speak. That they're, they're teaching that they are invoking a spirit. That's what they believe. And that's, that's in all these different tribal religions. And I'm studying this, and I begin to understand, and I can see with my eyes that something is going on with that dude. Like there's something that he knows about that I don't know about. Even though he may not be worshiping the God that we're supposed to be worshiping, he, he has contacted something in the realm of the Spirit, and he has opened himself up to that. And I said, Lord, there must be something to that. And, and, and I said, Lord, would you begin to teach me this? And during this time, I start to pray. Again, I've not been going to church much. I've not been doing anything. But I start to pray. I start to read the Bible more. And sometimes when nobody was around, I would try to begin to obey the Bible. So I would go out into a field. I would kneel down sometimes because I noticed where it said that in Scripture. I would lift my hands to God. I would begin to, to pray and praise and read the Bible. And I'm coming into this, this understanding of what worship is without even really realizing it. And I begin to open myself up to God. But here's the thing about worship is I finally came to a place over this 11-month period and I, what I realized is that I had not been worshiping God at all. That I had been worshiping the gods of, of self primarily. That God looked a lot like me. That God thought what I thought liked, what I liked thought was good, what I thought was good thought bad, what, what, what I thought was bad. He looked just like me. My God was just like me. Let me tell you something. If your God is a lot like you, you need to probably shift your God focus, right? Because our God is really a whole lot different than us. He's holy. His thoughts are different. His ways are different. And when we come to worship God, odds are you're going to encounter somebody who thinks differently than you. He's going to challenge the way you think. He's going to challenge the way you live. And sometimes we're afraid of that because we never want to be challenged in our comfortable area of life. But I promise you, God is different than you, but he desires to make you like him. Amen? And so I start, I start to experience this change going on in my life. And I came to this place where I finally moved beyond just praying or just lifting my hands. And at the point when I finally said, God, I, I give you my, all myself because I cannot live without you anymore. I had that moment where I saw there was nothing better that I could do than to truly worship him. And in that moment, he came into my life and set me free from so many of the addictions and the bondage. And I'm still learning what worship is, and I'm still growing in an understanding of what worship is. But here, you know, this week as I was studying about this, I wrote this down. I said, we are created for worship, right? Or, or I wrote, we are created to worship. And I woke up Saturday morning, and I'm praying, and I'm just, you know, reading the Bible. And the Lord said, you know, that's actually not a true statement. You're not created for worship. You're not created to worship. You are created worshiping. 
I said, what in the world? You know, this is the kind of thoughts that I'm having. I'm saying, what does that even mean? And so I literally, on my notes here, I got that marked out. And here's what God said. God says that we are created in His image. And God is a trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And God is a continuous outpouring of love and communication and joy and kindness and goodness. And He never ceases to pour out. The Father is always pouring out on the Son and the Spirit. And the Son is always pouring out on the Spirit and the Father. And the Spirit is always pouring out on the Son and the Father. And you see this going on always. And when God begins to live on the inside of us and He creates us, He says, you're designed in my image. That means that you are continually outpouring yourself to something you never cease worship never stops it never stops we are always every day of our lives without ceasing worshiping now you never thought of worship in that way because you thought worship was something you did when you came to church on Sunday morning everybody started singing Right Now that's a big aspect of worship, but worship is far more than that. Because here, here's the first point that I have. Number one in your notes, it's very, very simple, but it's good for you to understand, is that everybody worships. Not just Christian people, not just the people that come up around the altar and lift their hands. Every single human being on the face of the planet worships. Atheist people worship. Agnostic people worship. Everybody worships. The question is, what do you worship? That's the real question. Because everybody is always, you were designed like God, so you're constantly pouring yourself out to something. Whether it be your job, your career, your family, your children, drugs, alcohol, uh, whatever it is that you are pouring yourself into, you're giving your time to, you're giving your energy to it, you're giving your money to it, you're giving everything to this one thing. It may be your status, but most of the time, it's most people worship their, their own selves, right? Most people worship their own selves. And really, you know, I, I, was, I was thinking, I was watching this, this thing the other day, and I was listening to this Satanist get interviewed. And, you know, Satanism is really interesting. I, I, don't, need to, I don't need to get into this, actually. But, but do you know that Satanism is actually not just sitting down and bowing down and worshiping Satan? Because the essence of Satan worship is self-worship. That's what Satanism is. Satanism isn't the worship of Satan. Satanism is self-worship. Because in the Garden of Eden, what Satan said was, you can be like God's. Satan didn't say, hey, Adam and Eve, don't worship God. He's not going to help you out. He's not going to be good. He didn't, say, he didn't say, don't worship God, worship me. He didn't say that. What he said was, you can be like God's, knowing good and evil. You can be your own God, You can be your own source of happiness. You can be your own source of wealth. You can be your own source of life. Worship yourself. You can become God in a sense. Everything that you will ever need, you'll find it deep within. That's what New Age religion says. You're not going to find anything within you unless God is in there. Amen? Unless Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of me, I'm not going to find anything good on the inside of me. It's not there. Until the Holy Spirit comes on the inside of me and lives inside of me, there is no good thing in my flesh. I'm created in the image of God. To some degree, I reflect His goodness, but I need the Spirit of God before I begin to look in for anything. And so everybody worships, and God is seeking for worshipers. You know, some people ask the question, they say, well, you know, I just don't understand. The Bible says that God is a jealous God, but jealousy is, is sinful, and, and so, what, you know, how does that work for God? 
Now, I hear that, I hear that spoken a lot. And, it, and it's a total misunderstanding of the attributes of God. Because God, one, He cannot sin. And so He must be speaking about a different type of jealousy. Now, if I'm jealous over somebody, I'm jealous over them for my sake. Because I want them all to myself, right? Now, God, His jealousy works from the fact that He loves you so much, He's not jealous for His sake, He's jealous for your sake. He loves you so much that He knows if you worship anything else other than Him, it will absolutely destroy you. And so He's jealous over you with a godly jealousy, a love that knows if you turn your heart to any other thing, it's going to destroy you. You know, the first commandment God gave it, and he's a very wise God, he said, you shall have no other gods before me. That's the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Martin Luther said, if you can keep the first commandment, you'll by default keep the other nine. If there are no other gods before the one true God, you won't commit adultery. You won't lie. You won't steal. Why? Because you are in alignment with the very reason you were created. You are worshiping the one true God. You are filled with the one true God. And in the one true God, those things do not exist. So if you can keep the first commandment, you'll keep the worst, the, the rest. The, see, we look at sins, and we look at sins really outwardly. But the truth is, throughout Scripture, the one sin that is mentioned the most, you know what it is? It's idolatry. People worshiping something other than the one true God. And from that stems the rest of every other sin. Now, now here's the thing. God chooses the best for us, and this is why he's seeking worshipers, because he knows that the best thing that you can be is a true worshiper of him. That's the best thing you can be. It's our highest calling. We are created as worshipers, but we are only to worship the one true God. That's our calling. That's our privilege. And I'm telling you something. As the church of Jesus Christ, we will never come into the fullness of what God has for us until as a church, as the body of Christ, we understand worship and we learn what it means to enter in and to, and to be active in that worship in every day of our life, continually worshiping. And I'll, be, and I'll be honest with you, this one might sting a little bit, but the truth is, is how we worship in here corporately together on Sunday morning is honestly a reflection of how we We've been worshiping through the week. And when it's not happening here corporately, and we're not experiencing God engaging with us on the level that we ought to see Him engaging, it's because throughout the week we've not been giving our lives to Him in worship there. And sometimes I believe people begin to be convinced that worship is simply me sitting in a pew and them singing to me. They're not singing to you. They're not singing for you. It's not for your entertainment. It is to glorify the one and true and only magnificent and holy and worthy God. And I'm telling you, in our generation, we're getting it so mixed up on what worship really is. We think it's about us. We think it's about us being entertained or liking a song. It's got nothing to do with any of that. You know, songs have, are, are important and they have something to do with worship, but it's so much more than that. In Psalm 34, 9, I like what it says in the message. It says, worship God if you want the best. Worship opens doors to all His goodness. You know, I love that. It says, worship God if you want the best. Why? Because if you worship something else, you're going to get something inferior. Not only inferior, but deadly. But then it says, worship opens doors to all of His goodness. I, I promise you this, whatever you worship, it will open doors to whatever it is that you worship has to offer. Some people worship drugs and it will open the door 
to whatever it is that drugs have to offer, bondage, right? Some people worship sex. It will open the door to whatever it is that has to offer. And it all leads to bondage and enslavement and destruction, corruption, intercorruption, emptiness, right? But this opens the door to all his goodness. And let me, let, me, let me point something else out here in worship is that oftentimes, sometimes I think, especially as Pentecostalish mindseted people, we worship because we think if we worship, we'll get something in return. It's kind of, kind of like we're trying to manipulate God. God, if I lift my hands, I give you praise. I know you're going to pour out them blessings. Hallelujah. Now look, this verse says in some, in some way that his goodness is going to come out. But here's the problem is that worship isn't the means to an end. Worship is the end. Worship is the whole purpose. We don't get caught up in what we're getting from God in worship as if we're trying to manipulate Him. We give Him a gift, He gives us a gift. No, we get lost in who He is and He becomes the gift in worship. He becomes the gift in worship. So secondly, here's the, here's the other thing. Why is God seeking worship, worship? Number two, or why is He seeking worshipers? Two is you become what you worship. You become what you worship. This is different. You are influenced by the Spirit behind what you worship. And the Bible says that as we behold Jesus, as we worship Jesus, we're being changed, right? Something's happening. We're becoming something else. But you can tell what a person is worshiping by what... Just get, just get a look at their life, right? Because here's the truth. You are always reflecting either God or another God. You're always reflecting one or the other. You're always reflecting God, or you're reflecting something else that you're worshiping. And usually Jesus said it like this, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You reveal to your own self and to others what you worship by what you're speaking about, by what you're talking about, by what you adore. I begin to see, see, Jim, when he began to speak, what I felt, what I sensed was true, that's true worship. Right, because he sees God's goodness in his life and he begins to give thanks. And true worship is coming up in his heart and he's beginning to talk about the goodness of Jesus. True worship is coming up in his heart whenever he begins to speak of those things. And that's what we have to understand. See, Adam and Eve, they were in the garden. And when they were in the garden, they were in undivided communion, right? And they were in undivided communion, undivided worship. And they were free to constantly be growing and reflecting God in all of his goodness. You are an image bearer of God. That means when people look at you, they ought to see the goodness of God. They ought to see the love of God. They ought to see the joy of God. They ought to see the power of God. Why? Because you're designed to reflect who God is in the earth. And the only way that you reflect Him is by worshiping Him, by connecting with Him, and you become a reflection of God's goodness in the earth. Adam and Eve were that, right? They were, per they were, they were becoming Perfect reflections of God's goodness in the earth until the serpent came and lied to them and diverted their worship inward. And here, now in the Bible, Paul gives us a perfect, he lays out line upon line what happens whenever people's worship go from God and it turns inward, right? In Romans chapter 1, verse 21 through 25, let me read this to you. Now, now basically what he lays out is he says this, he says, look... God's made it clear that He is God and everything you see in the world. You look at the human body, you can look at the stars in the sky and you can know that God exists, that He's real. And it says God has made it so that every person deep down within, they realize that on some level there is a God, right? They realize that. And He says, therefore, they are without excuse. But in verse 21, it says, because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God. Now, I meet with people all the time. That say, well, yeah, you better believe I know God. I believe in God, right? 
But here's the issue with people is most people will admit to you that they know God or that they believe God. But this scripture says, although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. See, it's one thing to, in your mind, intellectually agree that there is a God. I believe there's a God. I believe in God. But at the same time, in your life, practically on a daily basis, you're not glorifying him as God of your life. You're giving yourself over to something else. Something else has pl- taken the place of God in your life, right? So, so he's saying they, they did not glorify him as God. Look at the second thing, though. Nor were they thankful, right? Nor were they thankful because thankfulness is a huge part of worship. They failed to acknowledge God as the giver of all good things. They had this sense of entitlement that everything that we have we got for ourselves and we just deserved it anyway. And they never recognized, just like Jim was doing this morning, he was recognizing God and giving thanks to him. He was encouraging us to recognize that every good gift that you have in your life is from God. The problem is, is we often don't notice that. We, 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 we just accept, well, this food, I'm entitled to it. I'm infi- entitled to these clothes. I'm entitled to this church. I'm entitled to all these things. You're not entitled to anything. God has chosen to give you good gifts in your life. And without him, you would have nothing. But see, it's, it's only a worshipful heart that begins to be thankful for that. And so they were unthankful. And the second thing, down in verse, let me read a few verses here. Verse 22, I, I, I like what it says. It says, they didn't glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. And, and, and therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the cre- cre- creation rather than the creator. So the next thing that they did, it says, is they exchanged the truth of God for the lie. And that's what I said what Adam and Eve did, that they believed that they could become their own gods. In essence, people really, the lie that they believe is that they're, somehow they're smarter than God. You say, well, I would never believe that. But see, in our daily lives, sometimes we choose things even though we know God is directing us in another path. Why? Because we think that what God is saying for our lives is not really for us, right? I've got my life under control, right? We exchange the truth of God for the lie, and we begin to take control. We become our own gods. We don't need God. He limits us. The third thing it says they do is they worship and serve the creation above the creator. And here's the truth about, look, this is, this is all humanity. This is what Paul is saying. He's saying this isn't just people outside the church. This is the state of all humanity apart from God. And he says they worship the creation rather than the creator. What he is saying is, is that we don't really want God. We want his stuff. At the end of the day, we worship in such a way that God becomes a person who will actually help us to get our idols. Right? So I'll let that settle for a minute. So what I really desire is something else. And the reason I come to church and the reason I pray is because I hope and I believe that if I worship enough, if I pray enough, then that God will actually make it so that I can get the real God that I want down here on earth. I worship creation, things that are made. I worship people. I worship things. I want more stuff. And all of those things, those things identify me. Those things give me purpose. Those things give me meaning. And the reason I come to God is I want him to give me those things. 
I want God to give me a, 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 a soulmate. I want God to give me a new car. I want God to give me a better job. I want God to give... Let me tell you something. God desires to give good gifts to his children. But in, when those things become what we look to, what we worship over God, it's called idolatry. And all of a sudden, a breakdown begins to happen on the inside of us. And we wonder so many times why we're miserable, why we're frustrated, why we're angry, why we're falling apart. And the reason is the first sin... Look, the worst sin is not drug addiction. It's not sexual immorality it's not hatred it's not even murder it is idolatry because all of those things hatred murder addiction uh, uh, adultery every sexual immorality all of those things come from the fact that somehow or another we got disconnected from the worship of God and started worshiping other things and every other sin came from that and that's what Paul begins to lay out right here in verse verse 28 through 32 he says and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge he said, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, all these things. This is a list of sins. I don't even need to cover all of it. But the thing is, we need to read these things sometimes as bad as they kind of hurt us and they're not like a feel-good message or anything like that. But we need to read these things because we must realize that the God that we worship is the God that loved us enough that when He saw us in these conditions, He died on the cross for us and said, I want you to come out of that lifestyle because I know you're not happy. Like, I, I know you are empty because you weren't made for that. And the reason you're living that way is because you've lost your sense of worship. You don't know who I am. You're worshiping other things and your heart has become defiled because you're chasing after things that can never satisfy you. You begin to worship false gods and Jesus says, I'm drawing you. I've died for you on the cross. I've paid for every single one of those sins. That word that Paul is bringing is not a word of condemnation to Christians. It's a word that says, look, this is not what you were made for. And the reason these things are produced in all of humanity is one reason. People started to worship what God made rather than God. And that's what he's saying. So, so we have to begin to understand that God is turning our hearts Back to him in this. False worship produces all sin. True worship destroys all sin. False worship produces all sin. True worship destroys all sin. Now, he gives that list of sin. And here's the thing, you know. Religion, what religious focus, religion focuses on is like, for example, if we got somebody and they're smoking pot, what we want to do is try to... Religion says, y'all need to quit smoking pot, boys. You need to quit that. Get yourself cleaned up. Preach that real hard. You know, I hope you do quit smoking pot, right? I really do. You need to. But the truth is, is that if you quit smoking pot and you're not worshiping God, you'll just trade the God of pot for another God. What you need to do is begin to worship God in spirit and in truth. And before long, that pot or whatever else it is will lose its taste and its flavor. And you'll no longer desire it because you'll be overflowing with the love and power of God because you've been worshiping Him. And there'll be no other room for those sinful things that you need to get rid of. Amen? This is the difference between religion and Christianity. Religion says stop doing bad things. Christianity says be reconciled to God. Worship Him in spirit and in truth and bad things will fall off of you. It's a totally different way of looking at things. 
But we become what we worship. You know, in the Old Testament, you read throughout the Old Testament Bible, and it may, a lot of people struggle with it for different reasons. I'm not going to get into that. But what we do see is that every other nation, God was trying to teach the nation of Israel what true worship was. But the problem was, is all the surrounding nations around them, what they worshipped were false gods, clearly. And these false gods, what you must realize is that they are, they, they are likely demonic principalities, right? So that when they chose to worship false gods, they were literally offering up sacrifices to demons. That's messed up, isn't it? Watch this. Just like I said before, what you worship is the spirit that you will give access to. Whatever I worship, I will give access to that spirit. A young man who sits before pornography day in and day out, every day when he, it's a worship act. It's a worship act. And when he does that, he opens himself to a spirit of lust that will soon control him. You understand that? People don't see it that way, right? Now, obviously, flesh gets involved in all this thing. But, you know, David got to a place in worshiping God where he said, My flesh cries out for the living God. He got so lost in worship that all of a sudden now his physical body is pray, craving the presence of God. The same way that, that I used to crave drugs and alcohol, all of a sudden now I begin my body. I want to be in the house of God. I want to be with God's people in corporate worship, sensing the presence of God. I crave it like an addiction. I want it. My flesh cries out for the living God because all of a sudden God starts to set things and put things in different order. But see, what you understand is Greek mythology... Is, they, they worshipped Greeks, Babylonians, they worshipped other gods. You had other gods like Dionysus, right? These gods were the god of, of wine and of revelry. So as a worship act, they would throw a big party and get wasted, and that was a worship act to the god of Dionysus. Aphrodite was the god of love and beauty and pleasure. So as a worship act, they would go to the temple and have illicit sex with multiple people, and they would have to have sex with a stranger. And when they did that, they entered into communion with Aphrodite, and they believed that when they did that, they were were possessed by and empowered by that God. See, that was the belief. But what we don't believe, really as Christians, what's so crazy to me is we don't really believe that when we worship God that we become possessed by and empowered by Him. And that's how we need to see it. That when we worship God, we become possessed by and empowered by Him, led by Him because we're offering ourselves to Him. Worship is when you choose to show something worth or value and you begin to offer yourself to it. But you know, there's gods. Here's, here's the thing about America. You know, back then they had the God of Mammon, which was the God of wealth and the pursuit of money and possessions. They had the God of Thoth, which was the God of knowledge and, and all these different things. And we say, well, thank God over here in America we don't have those gods anymore. Let me tell you something. We worship the same gods, we just don't have temples and images built to them. We worship the same gods at our universities. We worship the same gods on our computers. We worship the same gods every day when we go to work because we pursue something else that will bring us what only God can bring, hoping that somehow it's going to get the job done. And it fails every time, right? Psalms 115, verses 3 through 8 Here's what it says. Put that up there, Psalm 115. It says, but our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Some people say, well, where's that out in the Bible? Right there it is. He does whatever he pleases. That's a good one, isn't it? Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk. 
nor do they mutter through their throat. Next verse. Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. Notice that. Those who make them are like them, and so is everyone who trusts in them. You become like what you worship. Whatever you put your heart, your affections on, your adoration on, your pursuit on, that is what ultimately you will be shaped into and you will reflect that very same thing that you worship. Whether it's money, whether it's your job, whether it's your own self-image, whether it's your career, you begin to worship that thing. That's why you notice people when they, that, you know, we talk about, we, in, our, in our culture we have things like American Idol and our young people will, will worship superstars or they'll worship athletes or they'll worship these different things and they begin to image themselves after them, Right? Why? Because they worship them. You say, well, that's just too far, Clay. They go to church on Sundays. I don't care if they go to church or not. So many people that aren't worshiping the true God, they're worshiping something else. And here's, here's, here's what he says. He says, so is everyone who trusts in them. That's number three. Number three in your notes. You will always trust whatever you worship. You will always trust whatever you worship. Trust is one of the final expressions of true worship. What that means is, is when you get into a tight spot, when you get into a difficult situation, when things aren't going well for you, what do you run to immediately? What do you rely on? What do you think is going to help you get out of that situation, right? What happens? Do you go into fear? Do you go into panic? Do you call somebody up? What do you do? What do you trust in that moment, right? And here's the thing. You may not bow down to an altar of dollar bills, but at the end of the day, if money is what you trust and that's what you think is going to bring you contentment and satisfaction and security, you are worshiping that. Man, that hurts. I know it does. It hurts me. It challenges me. But it's a good word, right? This is going to get better at the end, I promise. Some of you look like you're mad at me. See, throughout the Bible, idolatry and adultery are mentioned together. And the reason they're mentioned together is because idolatry is in the spiritual what adultery is in the physical. It is a betrayal of devotion. You get married, it's a picture of the, the, the church in Christ, right? To be totally devoted to Christ. And when we get married, it, it, it's that. That we're to be totally devoted to one person. And adultery, a betrayal of devotion, is the same thing as idolatry. We, betrayal, we betray our devotion to the one true God. And here's what happens. It says that whenever we begin to put our trust in those idols, not only do we become like them, but we trust them. And then it says they have eyes, but they do not see. Ears, but they do not hear. They have a mouth, but they do not speak. What happens to you as a human being is that you lose your ability to see the truth. When, you're not worship, when you worship God, you, look, you gain your ability to see things clearly. You see the world as it is. You hear things as they need to be heard. The world begins to come before you in order, and you understand how to order your life correctly. You understand what's going on in the world around you. But when you begin to worship other things, all of a sudden this thing is totally twisted, right? I can't see clearly. I can't hear what God is saying clearly. And I can't even speak in such a way that it begins to impact the generations after me in order to change the world. All of this, and then so verse 9, there's this cry in this psalm, and, and, and David says, O oh Israel, trust the Lord. Let God be the one thing that you trust in every area of your life. And that is an indicator. In, in these difficult situations, do you trust that God is going to bring you through? Now listen, every single one of us deal, deal with a struggle in that area. We deal with difficult times. Satan comes to test us, and for a moment we lose our trust, and we almost trust other things. But thank God for the Holy Spirit that draws us back and says, Trust in me. I'll bring you through this. And see, there's look, everybody on the earth 
This was the one thing that Israel struggled with. You remember? They were always struggling with worshiping other gods, being tempted away by other gods. It's the same way with us. Every day of our lives, we're being tempted away by other gods to worship something else. That is Satan's plan for you. That you will stop worshiping the one true God and put your focus on something else. That's his plan for your destruction. And every single one of us, are, 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 we're going to be tempted. At times, it's going to look like we turn just for a moment. We stop trusting in the Lord. But God is always bringing us back. And the, the, four, the fourth point that I have for us is that when we worship Jesus, we are transformed. Now, I love this. You know, when I worship things of the world, the world just starts to conform me into that image, right? It's very easy to be transformed into an idol. It's very easy to be transformed to be like the world. You don't even have to try. You don't have, even have to put forth any effort. The world will shape you into its own mold. But when you begin to worship Jesus, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit gets released on the inside of you. And he begins to transform you from the inside out. And you begin to reflect the very glory of Jesus Christ himself. That's how you can tell when somebody is beginning to truly worship God. Now let me tell you something about Christians. Christians are not people who worship God perfectly. There's one person who worshiped God perfectly and that was Jesus Christ himself. We are only as Christians learning to be in Christ and learning to worship God perfectly. And as we learn to worship Him perfectly, we're being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. What he's saying is the glory of the Lord is really Jesus. When you see Jesus, you are seeing the glory of the Lord, right? And he says, when we begin to enter into a place of worship... Now look, there are various worship acts. When we're lifting our hands and singing songs, when we're reading the Bible, when we're listening to preaching, when we're uh, uh, just, just worshiping and praising God at home, when we enter into a time of prayer, all of a sudden, this begins to bring me into the presence of God. And the Holy Spirit begins to allow my heart to see Jesus. You ever been there? You ever been there? You've been in that place in prayer where all of a sudden your heart just begins to catch a glimpse of Jesus. And when you catch a glimpse of Jesus in His Word, in worship, in prayer, when you catch a glimpse, the Holy Spirit begins to transform you into that same image. Jesus' glory is revealed when he looks at that adulterous woman, the woman called in adultery, and he said, does no man condemn you? And she says, no man, Lord. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. His glory is revealed. Jesus' glory is revealed when every sick person on the street comes up to him, and, it, and the Bible says that every person that came to him was healed. That's how much he loved them. His glory is revealed. Jesus' glory is revealed when he raises Lazarus from the dead. Jesus' glory is revealed whenever he died on a cross because he knew that every single one of us, we were in a world of false worship and sin. And he said, I can't imagine you being this, this distant from me forever. I'll take your place. I'll die in your place so that you can be reconciled to me. So that you can be, come back into pure worship. And, and, and God, whenever we, we, we're born again of the Spirit, whenever we put our faith in Christ and we're born again of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the only one that can cause us to worship correctly. You can't worship God without the Holy Spirit doing it in you and through you. It's the Holy Spirit inviting you into this place where, where you're pouring worth out on God and God's pouring worth back out on you. And you get lost in that, right? Throughout the Old Testament, God... 
he wanted his people to be priests, right? Now, when I was a Catholic, you know, only certain people were priests. The truth is, according to the Bible, we are a royal priesthood. Every believer in Christ has become a priest. We have become a kingdom of priests. You say, well, what in the world does that mean? A priest was somebody who God invited into his presence, into his holy presence. And when they would enter into his presence, all of a sudden they had the ability and the capacity to receive God's plan, to receive God's purpose, to receive and hear what he's saying about things. And they could enter into that presence, be changed by that presence, and leave that presence in order to minister to the world and the people around them and impact those people around them with the presence of God. See, what true worship does, you know, I, I read something, I think it was John Bevere, I read it the other day. He said this, he said, worship is not our songs, worship is our obedience. I said, well, that's pretty good, John. I appreciate that. I like that. That's good. You know what I'm saying? But here's what I believe. I believe worship is your songs, and it's also your obedience. It's not either or. It's both and. Because here's the thing. We think, so I, I, some people think worship is only coming in here on Sundays and lifting your hands and singing a song. Other people think worship is only revealed in how you go out and minister to people and you just need to minister to people all the time. But here's the truth. We are called, if you minister to people before you minister to God, you've lost everything. Ministry to the world has to be an overflow of our worship of God. Jesus' ministry was first and foremost to God the Father. And from there, the love of the Father overflowed to humanity. And what God is saying to us is if you want to minister to people effectively, you want to minister to your family, your friends effectively, and your workplace effectively, you need to worship me first. And then when you go into those places, you won't even have to try. It will overflow out of you. Ministry will overflow because you're worshiping God. And a lot of times we choose the inferior route and we try to push, push, Y'all, everybody needs to be a minister. Everybody needs to be a minister. If you don't become a worshiper, you'll never be a true minister. And, and, and the truth is, you can minister all day long, but it won't be with any impact without God moving through you and in you in that, in that degree. So we become priests unto God. Now, here's my last point, number five. We minister to the Lord in three ways. We minister to the Lord in three ways, right? And this, this gets into maybe a little bit more practical stuff as far as what we, what we do corporately as a church body specifically. Now, in Psalm 100, verse 4, it says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. You know, when I read the Bible, it's so funny to me because you read like the Psalms and you read the Bible and it talks about, you know, dancing before the Lord. It's, uh, it's so funny. Sometimes you'll be... I, you ever been in a church service where they actually talk about lifting up holy hands in your name and there are like 200 people there and ain't nobody got their hands lifted? It's just funny to me, right? You ever been there? Well, we lift up holy hands in your name. Like, but ain't nobody got their hands lifted. How, how is it that we can sing about something that we actually don't do? Right? And that's, that's where worship disconnects. That I come in on a Sunday morning and I sing the songs, I repeat the lyrics, I read them off of a board, but I'm not actually singing them to God. 
I'm not actually engaging with God yet. I've not actually entered into that place where this is something that I'm giving to God, that I'm offering Him this sacrifice, that the reason I'm speaking out of my mouth is for Him and Him alone. I'm offering that to Him. I'm speaking something to Him, right? And so people say, well, you know, worship is just how you live your daily life. Yes, it is, but it begins, I believe, in a place of intimacy. It begins in a relationship with God, how I speak to God when nobody else is around. When nobody else is around, when nobody else is there, when, when no, nothing else is going on, when I don't have a person to minister to, how do I talk to God? That's where worship begins, right? And the first thing, here's the first way that we minister to the Lord. See, all of these things in Scripture, when it talks about thanksgiving, when it talks about praise, it's an invitation into an expression of worship that will allow us to encounter God and without it, we're probably not going to encounter him the way that he wants us to, right? So he gives us this prescription for worship. He says, you enter into my gates with thanksgiving. That's exactly what Jim did this morning. All of a sudden, he began to give thanks. You know what happened? Boom, that gate clicked open. We're about to step in, right? I'm going to say this. I, I don't know. Sometimes I wonder. Have I, I hope I haven't said a whole lot of harsh statements, but, I, but at the same time, I want the Lord to convict you and help you and bless you and all that. But I'm going to say this one. This might be convicting. And I'm not pointing. This is not, this is not at any person in particular or anything like that. But this is just me saying and giving my own observation of myself. Okay? Is that oftentimes I think I come in on Sunday morning and I give thanks and I give praise, but I rarely actually enter into worship. That's just me, right? That's just me talking, speaking for myself. I give thanks to God. I give praise to God. But I rarely enter into worship on a Sunday morning. And my personal opinion is that, 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 that this ought to be the place where we enter into worship the easiest, the quickest, because we are the body. We come together as the church body. And when we come together, we ought to have been so poured out out there during the week that when we come in, we are getting lost in the presence of God. And I'm going to tell you something. You know, there's different strategies for reaching lost people. There is no greater strategy than the church coming in here to worship God in such a way that His manifest presence shows up. And you don't even have to necessarily tell a person to come to the altar because all of a sudden they're encountering the Spirit and the love and the presence of God. And they are convicted in their own heart and God is doing something in their own heart without you even ministering or saying anything to them simply because you've worshipped God in such a way that he said I'd like to show up there I'd like to manifest myself there yeah he's always here but there is a difference between God being all, all being there all the time and God's manifest presence being here among us now thanksgiving is something we do in response to the acts of God and we enter into his gate. So I begin to give God thanks because of something that he does in my life. He heals me, he saves me, he does something in my life. I start to give him thanks and it's opening this gate, right? Now I move, I take it a step further and I begin to give God praise. I begin to give God praise. And now I'm not just giving thanks to God for what he does, but I'm, I'm beginning to see God for who He is, and out of my mouth are coming words. Some people say, well, you know, I got praise in my heart. I got, I got a thankful heart. Some things do not work in the kingdom of God until you open your mouth and express them with your lips. 
God says to offer him the sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of your lips. He wants you to open your mouth and begin to tell him how wonderful he is, how amazing he is, how wonderful he is, just, just how powerful and glorious that he is. And when you begin to open your mouth and enter into praise, all of a sudden the scripture says that God inhabits the praises of his people. You say, well, you know, I don't know. But I don't, y'all, y'all may praise some way. I know this way, but... But, but I just don't know if that's really praise or not. Now, in the Bible, there are actually seven words for praise. I'm not going to go through them all, but you've got them in your notes right there. There are seven Hebrew words for praise. They range from meaning to celebrate or be clamorously foolish. Right? That's a good one. To celebrate or be clamorously foolish. One is to lift the hands. The other one is the extension of hand of your hand in adoration or thanking for things not yet received. A shabak, here's a good one, right? Say shabak. Oh, praise God, I just wanted you to say that. <laughs> shabak means to shout with a voice of triumph. Another one means to kneel and to bless God. Another one means to play musical instruments. And another one means to sing songs of praise to the Lord. So all of those things corporately come together in what is one big sacrifice and offering of praise to God. And guess what? Some people say, well, you know, I, I, just, I, I, I didn't feel led to lift my hands this morning. Sa- praise and thanks is a sacrifice. You don't have to feel like it to offer it. You get to offer it to God, and He's called you and commanded you to bring it, so you ought to be always praising God, always opening your mouth to the Lord, always lifting your hands to God because of what He has done for you. He is worthy of all of our praise, and we are called to show forth the praises of this glorious God who has paid for our sins with His blood, brought us out of darkness into light, made us a new creation and given us His Holy Spirit, transformed our lives. He deserves our praise and he loves us enough he loves us enough to not leave us alone he gives us a prescription for praise he says when you come into my presence offer up singing when you come into my presence lift up your hands lift up your hands and praise my holy name when you come into my presence play musical instruments when you come into my presence give a shout of joy give a shout of triumph when you come into my presence kneel down before me and bless me Right? He loves me so much that he didn't leave me guessing about what praise ought to look like. He said, this is what it's going to look like. And he says, when you all get lost in praise, I'm going to come and settle right down in on that. This is where we have to go as the body of Christ. Because without that happening, what God wants to do will not happen. We have to be a people of praise. We have to be a people of thanks. But see, we got to move it one step further. See, because when I give thanks, I see, I see what God's done in my life. I give Him thanks. I take it another step farther. I begin to praise God, and I enter into His courts. Now I'm entering into His courts. And all of a sudden, He begins to inhabit those praises that we offer up. Now His presence is there. And sometimes you begin to sense that in this room because His presence begins to come in the room because all of a sudden you just begin to sense it. You begin to sense the presence of God, the weightiness of God, the glory of God. And you know He's in the room and it's almost like He's saying, come on, just a little bit further now. Just a little bit further now. Just come. Let everything be set aside in this moment because I want you to encounter me. And worship is this place where all of a sudden I enter in and almost to some degree no longer... Am I offering anything up to God? But now God is pouring back down into me. 
And I see him so clearly in that moment. You ever been in those moments? I've been in worship services where I felt like there wasn't nobody else in the room. I feel like I was the only person. I didn't even have anything to say anymore. Why? Because now I'm beholding him. Now I see him. Now I see his goodness. And all of a sudden, my heart is wide open to him. And here's the beautiful thing about worship is, in thanksgiving and praise, I'm offering a sacrifice. But in worship, I become the sacrifice. In thanksgiving and praise, I'm offering up a sacrifice. I'm lifting my hands. I'm opening my mouth. But in worship, I offer myself. In worship, I come to that place where I realize, God, not only have you done great things, not only are you great, but God, there is nothing. I realize there's nothing greater. And that the only thing at this time I can do is just offer my whole life to you, offer my body to you. I give everything to you, God. I pour myself out before you because I want to be indwelt. I want to be filled with the living God. The God of love, the God of goodness, the God of peace, the God that delivers, the God that, that loves the, the outcast, that loves the prostitute, that loves the drug addict. That, that I want to be filled with you, God. And I want to leave with you on the inside of me. I want to leave with your presence covering me. I want to leave with your heart for this world. I want to leave. And when we enter into that place of worship, I promise you what happens Monday through Friday will change. It will change. Because all of a sudden, we've, we begin to contact and have this exchange with the living God. When I enter into worship, there's an exchange that takes place. I encounter God. He gives me a piece of himself. Romans 12, 1. I'm going to close here. You guys can come to the music, right? Romans 12, 1, it says, in, in, in light of all of the things that we've talked about this morning, I want you to think about this. Here's, here's, what, here's what they say. Here's what God says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, because God has been so merciful to us. You know what we deserve? We have all worshipped false gods. And you know what we deserve? I don't even want to get into it. But yet He has had such mercy and such love toward us, He has not even punished us according to our sins. He's withheld what we deserve because He loves us so much and says, if you believe in Jesus, I want to give you new life. I want to teach you what it means to worship because I love you that much because these other things are not going to bring you satisfaction. You know, there's so many things that I, that I listed. All these things, your job is good. You know what I'm saying? Your family is a wonderful thing. All of these things that God gives us are good things, but they cannot be placed in front of God. And God says, therefore, I appeal to you by the tender mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Have you ever done that? Have you ever presented your body as a living sacrifice? Say, God, this body, this mind, my soul, my spirit, everything I have is yours. I want to present this to you. I want you to take over. I want to give you control. I want to offer this to you. He says, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That is your spiritual worship. Now stand to your feet with me just for a moment. You know, God says that He's looking for worshipers to worship Him in spirit and in truth, right? And spirit really just means that the Holy Spirit is the only way through which we can worship. We're, co we're communicating with a God we cannot see because this God is a spirit. And He gives us His Holy Spirit and He begins to teach us how to worship. But in truth means that I have to know who God is, right? I have to know what the prescription that He's given me. 
I have to worship on His terms, not on my, my own terms. And not only that, but I have to come to Him and I have to be honest with Him. I have to open my heart. I have to say, God, I've placed other things before you. I've allowed other things to be, become my God. I've, I've allowed other things. I've put my trust in other things and I'm coming in truth wide open saying, Lord, this is who I am. And because of the blood of Jesus, He will never put you out of His presence. Look, here's the truth. Every single one of us, we're, we're all messed up. Amen. And He sees that and He says, I've paid the price. The blood of my Son has been shed. You can freely, in spite of your current condition, you can choose to turn and you can choose to come into my presence. You can choose to come in right now because the blood has made a way for us into the presence of God. Amen. Listen, right now I want as many as will. I, I just want you to begin to step forward. Just step out of your comfort zone because a part of worship, a part of praise, you know, if you're willing to, is to just step out. Just step out and begin to step out of your comfort zone and, and, and begin to offer yourself as a living sacrifice.